Breaking down Wisconsin basketball. This is The Swing with Zach Heilprin and Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. And welcome to The Swing here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Zach Heilprin, the Athletics' Jesse Temple along with you. All right, Wisconsin gets one win since the last time we talked, but it was a pretty big one and it was pretty emphatic as well. They beat Marquette 77-61, their biggest win over Marquette since 1998. And it... Uh, Broke a two-game losing streak to them, of course, as well as uh, Brevin Pritzel, 15 points, 13 rebounds. You got 15 points from Brad Davison. Marcus Howard held to nothing uh, shooting-wise in the second half. 0 for 9 in the second half, just two points, finished with 18 for the game. It was, I thought, a surprising performance by Wisconsin after what we had seen, at least in the first five halves of games. Overall, did that catch you off guard a little bit? The way that Wisconsin won did going away caught me off guard a little bit because for a lot of this game it was very close Marquette just kept hanging around and you thought okay are they going to be able to make a run they've got the best scorer on the court but defensively Wisconsin was able to lock Howard down and you mentioned this on the show last week that despite the evidence we had seen on on the court five of the six halves they hadn't shot particularly well that this was a team capable of getting hot and we've said it and we've seen it and the question was well when's it going to happen right and when it happened boy did it happen because (laughs) Everybody on the floor was making a three. There was great ball movement. They were getting open shots, and they were all going down. And that, to me, was the difference because you look up after a few minutes, and it goes from a a two-possession game, three-possession game, and now it's totally out of reach. Yeah, Wisconsin, seven different guys hit a three-pointer in the second half. Seven. I mean, that, to me, is just an insane number. And obviously, Brevin Pritzel was a big part of it. Aline Ford, Nate Reavers, Demetri Trice, Kobe King. That first three the, of the half was uh, the one where he broke uh, Sakar Anum's ankles there on the on the it was a crossover right? Oh yeah, crossover. It was sick, yeah. nasty. And yeah, yeah. number four on the Sports Center top ten, very deserving. Anytime you can drop a dude off and make the shot, it's all the, it doesn't matter exactly. if you miss the shot. Exactly. He was open for days and he buried it, and that was fantastic to see. I, I was, I don't cheer, I don't cheer for either team, but I was hoping that that was going to actually go through so we could talk about it because otherwise it loses a little bit of its luster if you don't if the basket doesn't go through but yeah i mean they their their ability to hit from outside especially uh, in the second half i think they were 8 of 14 from 3 in the second half and uh it was the trio i guess we talked about this on monday a little bit you know when we were uh, just talking about the game itself back to back to back three pointers and then there was another one after that i mean four three pointers and four trips just Huge, huge uh, turn of momentum. And that was essentially, to me, that was essentially the game. Yeah, it blew the game open. So you had Aleem made one, Brad hit one, Demetric hit one, and then, as you said, Marquette was able to score. Brevin Pritzel hit one. It's 67-51. to 51. The game is over at that point. Yeah, and w- I should mention that Marquette's score was dubious, I'll say that, because it was the three that Kobe McEwen got up, missed, but came down and landed and flopped like a little fish, uh, but got the free, three free throws off of Brad, and uh, that was the lone basket in between there. I mean that that was kind. I mean that was BS, right? I mean, and, and Greg Gard said as, and called as much on the side. And you could go back when you go back and watch the 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 TV copy. He was saying flop, 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 and like, and the officials just kind of struck it off. They didn't do anything. I, the officials weren't great, but we could talk about them every single game in every college basketball game. They always seem to find their way into the story. But Wisconsin deserves uh, most of the most of the attention because they were fantastic for the, especially in that second half. And to be fair, defensively throughout the game, I didn't. I mean, there were a couple open shots uh, in the wings, 
But Mark, everything Marcus Howard got, he had to work for. Demetri Trice was all over him, and it was a team effort. But Demetri Trice was uh, was all over him all game. Yeah, I think he showed a lot for for what he was able to do, and not just in that game, but even in the opener against St. Mary's, as we yeah. talked about before with Ford, who was as good of a scorer as I have seen, and just entertaining and the moves that he can make. And Trice was in there defending him very well late in that game. And it's the same with Howard. And you're right, even some of the early shots that he made were contested shots, and it's just one of those you tip your cap to him because that's, that's a score of figuring out ways to score. But you look at what he did. Howard was 6 for 21 from the floor. That's that's incredibly inefficient. That's under 30%. And yeah. he's 2 for 7 on threes. And you look at the plus minus, which is well, a favorite stat of mine now, minus 19, which is the worst on the court. So... Obviously, Wisconsin was able to handle him in a way that a lot of teams can't. You know what? His first two games against Wisconsin, he shot 50% from the field. That's not what you want, right? Last two years, combined 13 for 50. He got his points last year, right? I think he had 27, but it took him like 29 shots to get it. He was, he's been corralled. He was, I think it was just whatever 13 to 50 is over these last two games. They've done as good a job as they possibly could on one of the best scorers in the country and the all-time leading scorer in uh, in Marquette history. The other aspect of that game that we haven't really touched on is Revan Pritzel, a guy who, what, 6'3", maybe? Six offensive rebounds, 50, uh, 13 in total. It was just, I don't know if you could ever say that's what you expect from the guy because you, you don't expect that from a guard, but he was out-rebounded Marquette's two big guys 13-3. to He was down there in the trees, too, and it was, some of those rebounds, they came to him or he leapt and got them, and you just... You couldn't believe that he was able to corral them, and, and he was keeping plays alive, and he would get the rebound and kick out. There was one instance where I think he got the rebound, kicked out to Trice, and then Trice found Brevin. Brevin hit a two-pointer. It was early in the first half, and it gave Wisconsin a lead, and it's just those types of plays that can turn a game on its head, and when you consistently do it, you know, then it's not just it's not a mistake, right? It's not like, oh, two rebounds fell to him. He was going out, and he was getting them, and I think it shows how far he's come as a player because we knew when he came in that he could shoot, and Greg always said that it takes all these other elements of the game for a coaching staff to trust you to be on the floor. You've got to play good defense, got to make smart passes, not turn it over, and you've got to rebound. And he's really developed into the the type of player that they hoped that he would be, and he made shots too. Three for four on three. He did, and yeah, he made his first three, and he didn't miss. Uh, I think his last miss came uh, late in that game when the game was pretty much already decided, but yeah, the thing about Brevin is he's had games where he's scored a lot of points, and he's had games where he's had a lot of rebounds. I mean, his, I think his career high before this was nine, was 10, but this is the first time that he put both of them together, and he was a well-deserved uh, standing ovation as he came out of the game. The loudest cheer for all the guys that were coming out of the game there at the end was Brevin Pritzel, and it was nice to see because so few Wisconsin guys were actually playing in that game. You know what I mean? Like, there's, there's Brevin, and there's Kobe, and then there's and there's Trevor Anderson. Those essentially are the only three guys in either team that are from Wisconsin that played significant minutes on on Saturday, which is I think it's notable. It's good that it came in that game for you know for Brevin. Yeah, and and you wonder if this can be the type of game that can carry him forward. I mean, momentum is not really a real thing, especially when you're going days between games. I don't, but, okay. but but do you believe momentum is something in a game? Well, you can build confidence off something, and that but you don't can, like the you don't like the idea of momentum. I mean, I, I don't know. You've got so you don't, four four days before you play another game. I'm talking about within a game. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, okay. if that's you, what I was at. That's yeah. if you make a three and you see the ball go in. I think that affects you the next time you shoot a three. It's something it's some, when you hear the word heat check when someone's on fire, they're going to take a shot they never would have taken. But but 
what I'm saying is I think that this could potentially be good for him moving forward because he showed his full skill set. And you mentioned the six offensive rebounds. Wisconsin had nine as a team. So the rest of the team combined had three. And especially at this stage of the season, when you don't have Michael Potter yet, all those rebounds are even more crucial. Yeah. I believe it's among the most offensive rebounds. I don't have a stat in front of me, but I believe it's one of the most most offensive rebounds among uh, by guard in Wisconsin history, or at least in the last 25 years or so. Certainly, Ethan Happ had a couple of games where I think he had nine offensive rebounds. How many of those were him catching his own misses and putting back up? I don't know, but um, that was unfair. That I apologize. That was that that was bad. I apologize, Ethan. My bad. That that uh, that that was wrong. Either way, it was great that Brevin was able to find a way to get in there and rebound when you had um, Theo John and Ed Morrow, two guys who just looked apart, get a total of three rebounds. I mean, and you have this other guy doubling them up in offensive rebounds alone. It was just, uh, it was a great performance from Brevin, and it was a great performance by Wisconsin. The only negative I would say would probably be the fact that guys were in foul trouble again. And, and maybe that's not necessarily a negative thing because we've gotten to see some smaller lineups that Wisconsin has been able to really uh, mess with people. And because when you have Lean playing the five or you have Tyler Wall playing the five, it looks a little bit different, especially in the offensive end. And we, we saw that a couple times because Nate was in foul trouble and then Aleem got in foul trouble and Tyler played all of six minutes and had four fouls. Um, did hit a big three in those six minutes, but that continues to be a huge concern just simply because they don't have the depth there. Yeah, and I would expect that to continue to be an issue. And I think Tyler got a kind of a lesson in the physicality of college basketball, although I don't know that all those fouls, some of those fouls, was that really a foul? You know, but... They called him, and you're right, he had four fouls. He played five, five and a half minutes, but he did have the huge uh, tip out, and he got the ball in the corner and, and buried the three. And that next possession allowed the three and then uh, turned the ball over and got a foul on the other end, <laughs> which, I believe was the, which I believe was the end of what we saw of Tyler Wall. It, it was a freshman moment. But, it, but, but though, that, to me, is the typical freshman experience, true freshman experience. You get these great moments, and then you get these low moments, and you're trying to limit, obviously, one end and continue to grow on the other end. And I think by the end of the, maybe not, maybe even by Big Ten season, the real Big Ten season come, you know, January, maybe it looks a little bit easier, or maybe it looks a little bit better for him because he's had moments where he's been fantastic, and he's also had moments where you're like, yep, that guy was in high school a few months ago. Yeah, but you look at what kind of the minutes, the way they were dispersed. The, Greg relied heavily on on his rotation of backcourt players, and it shows because you had Kobe, Demetric, and Brad all played 33-plus minutes, and Brevin came off the bench and played almost 26 minutes. So they were able to get the job done. We talked last week about the variety of lineups they used, how sometimes the five-man was Tyler Wall, and you had four guards on the floor. Um, but they, they were able to, to do it, and at some point we're going to see Micah Potter maybe sooner than the December 21st date because I know he's got that telephonic hearing, which is, I don't know why it has taken this long. Yeah, well, it finally did get set set for Thursday, and um, I believe Greg Gard said this week, maybe on his radio program, that um, they're not expecting a decision Thursday. So he will definitely miss a fifth game. Yeah, definitely will miss a fifth game uh, against UW-Green Bay, and then and we'll see. But he'd be a nice addition, for sure. All right, uh, play a little sold or not sold. The win over Marquette changes my outlook for this team. Sold or not sold? Wow, that is a that is a, a big, big question. That's a big question. I'm, I'll lean more towards sold because I think it's it's a big rivalry game, and Marquette may not be sold-ish. that great of a team. Soldish, then I'll go sold because you hate how I hedge, and so I'm going to try to hedge less. Mostly sold. <laughs> I think we 
perhaps overestimated last week. We, we, we talked about who's the better team. Yes. And I'll admit, I, that I was wrong. Oh, that I, one. I, I was wrong. I, I thought they, they had the best score and yeah. potentially the best player and that there would be enough other guys for Marquette to get the job done, and there just weren't. And Wisconsin clearly was the better team because, as you said, you had seven guys hit threes. You had six guys in double figures in scoring. I think this is the type of game that shows what Wisconsin is capable of, but you have to be able to make those shots against other teams. Now, will they be able to do that? That's a big question. Yeah, Kobe McEwen and Marcus Howard had 18 and 19 points collectively. Nobody else had more than eight. And so when you don't have their other option, Marcus Howard was hot in the first half, Kobe was hot in the second half, but then nobody else gave them anything, and they got nothing from, from the post. Look, when Aleem Ford is guarding, your po- is guarding the post, or Tyler Wall is guarding the post, you have to get the ball inside. And, and Theo John, for all, I mean, I certainly don't think he's a great player by any stretch, but you would think him or Morrow would have an opportunity to impose their will maybe a little bit more uh, than they did. Certainly we saw McNeese State do it. And maybe they don't have a guy <laughs> uh, like Shamarcus Kennedy. Maybe don't they don't have that type of player. But you would have thought that they would have seen that and maybe tried to get uh, the same situation that that uh, McNeese State did. They didn't. So do I think this does not necessarily change my opinion because I think there's also five halves of basketball that you we can't just ignore. But I will say this: if they're starting to find themselves, starting to find the offense, because Wojo said it after the game, said they're much more difficult to guard this this year than they were last year. When you don't. He said, you know, in the post, you've got so many different guys posting. Last year, you post Ethan Happ every single time, and that's a that's a great way to play offense. He wasn't he wasn't saying that that was he wasn't knocking anybody, but when you have the opportunity to post Brad, post Brevin, post post Kobe down low, it messes with stuff because you have guys on the outside that can knock shots down, and that just hadn't been the case with, with Ethan on the floor. It was just him in the post and nobody else. And you mentioned the front court disparity. You had Brennan Bailey and. Theo John combined to go one for six from the field and score two points. And then you've got Ford and Reavers that score 22 points. And I mentioned this before about how there were games where Aleem was now taking more two-pointers than threes. He did it again. He took four threes. He took six two-pointers. And I thought early, early he was very aggressive. He drew a foul early. And then he got a put-back tip in when Kobe King missed a layup. And then he scored on a layup on a drive to the basket. So... I th- I just I think that is absolutely huge for another dynamic, not just for Aleem, but for this offense. Because yeah, it's great when you have five shooters on the floor, but if you're not hitting, you got to have guys that are willing to stick their nose in there, put the ball on the court, and get to the bucket. And the fact that he has that just adds a lot. And he's getting. I mean, he's he's gonna. I think he's gonna shoot right by his free throw totals from last year. He, he may have more free throws this year than he did the first two years combined. He he is. Uh, Certainly on his way there already. I mean, uh, what he's got through the first. Well, I shouldn't say that. He's five of seven from the line. I'll shut up now. <laughs> no, but 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 I'll say this. I don't think he he has been more aggressive. There's no doubt about that, and it's going to lead to more opportunities at the foul line, just like it has for Kobe. Um, both of those guys get into the line more this year than they did last year. Yeah, Aleem's taken 21 two so far in 19 threes, and we should note. They're almost at 82% from the, the free throw line. They're at 81.7%. And so whatever I said on the, the season opener, I will take back immediately because I think, I don't remember if I took the under on the percentage, but man, <laughs> they've they've really done well from the free throw line. So they're not just getting there, they're, they're taking advantage of those opportunities, and that's big too. They are. It's a good thing they hired that free throw coach. <laughs> Isn't that the that's the joke? Um, oh, no. Now I'm, I, feel, I feel great about it. Aline Ford? 
four for four last year from the free throw line. So he's already got more free throw attempts and makes this year. Than Is that he did a typo? That has to be a typo. It's not. He was and he was twenty seven of thirty three as a freshman. That so is astounding to me. It is. I know he was hurt. He was. But for six eight forward to only take four four free throws is well, it's hard to believe. Well, he t- only took 12 twos combined last year yeah. in, in the entire, all of last year, 12 two-pointers. To me, he looks, he and Kobe look the most different. And 15 two-pointers the year before. How many did he have on Saturday? Two-pointers? On Sunday, I mean, yeah, two-pointers. He took six two-pointers. This season, he's got 21 two-pointers and 19 threes. So um, excuse me, how many? This, this year? Yeah. 20, he's taken 40 shots from the field, and 21 of them. Have been two-pointers? Yeah, and 19 have been three-pointers. So he's already taken, what is that, 12, 15, 27, his first two years combined from two. That's some quick math. That's in- He's just a totally different player. Yeah. And Kobe is, understandably, because they're both guys we're, we're dealing with coming off injuries, but that's insane. he's taken his game to another level. He has. Speaking of all that uh, balanced scoring, Wisconsin had six guys in, in double figures. Not having a true number one option will come back to haunt the Badgers. Ooh. This is a sold or not sold? Sold or not sold? Not sold. Not yet, at least. Um, Do you think they have a number one? Am I, or am I, am I inaccurate in saying that they don't have a true number one? You know, I, early, I, early I thought it was Nate. and has had a different nec- lead and score yeah. every game. So I don't, know, I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. The only, the only thing I would say is it's you're down one and you have to win the game, and the question is who do you go to? You've got to have that alpha who's going to hit the shot, but I, for the most part, I, I think this is a good thing. I mean, I think this is obviously a more balanced team than last year. You know, you would have said last year Demetrik's going to have the ball in his hands, but you probably want Ethan down low unless he's getting fouled. Right. So I, I, th- I think they're in a better position this year than certainly they were last year, and that's an NCAA tournament team last year. It was. Who is the guy? I mean, we've, I mean we talked about this, the St. Mary's game. Who is the guy that you want the ball in his hands? I, I don't know. But I think that there's also some value in that, not knowing what's coming. I mean, everyone knows it's going to be Marcus Howard, and you would love to have Marcus Howard in that situation. You'd love to have a Bronson Koenig, or you'd love to have uh, somebody that you could point to and say, he's going to be my guy. Right now, they don't have that. And they, you know, maybe they'll find him at some point. But I, like, who, who would you want taking that last shot right now? Well, the thing is, you want Dimitrik to initiate the offense. So He's the guy who's going to break someone down, and if he's open coming off a pick to his right, then you want him to shoot it. And if they double him, then you want him to kick it. And so I, th- I think it just depends on, just like that St. Mary's game, the way St. Mary's played it, when they, they cut off Dimitrik and, and he passed it to Aleem. Obviously, Aleem didn't make the shot, but that's kind of how I see things going. Just get it to the open guy, but it starts with Dimitrik because he's your point guard. Yeah. Sold or not sold, Brevin Pritz will have more games like Marquette than like St. Mary's. Obviously, 15 and 13 against Marquette, he did not take a shot against St. Mary's. Had two rebound, three rebounds and one assist in 22 minutes. It was essentially a non-factor. Yeah. I, I would like to say sold because he's got to be more than what he was against St. Mary's, and he showed what he could do against Marquette. I think sometimes his shot is dependent on whether other guys can get him open because he's a you know he's a spot up shooter. There's nothing wrong with that, but it means that if you catch the ball on the wing and you're guarded, it's a little more challenging to create your own shot. And so, but that doesn't affect whether you can rebound and how you play defense. And so, I, I think that those are the types of things that he can bring, whether he's taking shot attempts or not. But a guy that good from the three point line, you got to find a way to get him involved. And even if it's only four threes with his percentage. Maybe he hits two of them. That's six big points. It was kind of funny after the game. I 
obviously I was at the game, so I didn't hear the TV copy until I went back. And and Bill Raftery was saying that they went to practice the day before, and he missed one shot. And I'm like, that's the Brevin Pritchell I know. He hits everything in practice. The fact that it, it and I know people get annoyed and tired of it. The fact that it finally carried over or had it did carry over this game certainly is encouraging, and it needs to continue because I think confidence with him is probably his biggest. I'm not going to say weakness, but biggest hangup at times is the belief in himself that it, the ball's going in. He'll say it, but I don't necessarily believe him when he says the ball's going in or he, he thinks everyone that he shoots is going in. I don't necessarily believe that's the case in games. Maybe that's a little bit unfair, but uh, it just, there should be, there should be more success on a regular basis than there has been, but maybe fifth year, final year, Stewart die. And, and maybe we get more games like Marquette game um, shooting wise from him. that It'd be significant if they could, for sure. Sold or not sold, Micah Potter will be eligible after the NCAA Legislative Relief Committee makes its ruling. I'm going to say sold because... You have some belief in the NCAA. Nope. Uh, I have belief in the idea that the backlash would somehow matter to them because why would you go through all this and then wait this long to grant this hearing by phone only to say we heard your case and the answer is still no. Why give everyone this hope? Yeah. That that to me is is what stands out the most. And it's ridiculous because even if you say, yes, he's missing five games and he's going to get an extra month, three weeks from what the, the deadline will be, which is December 21st, maybe it's four weeks, depending on when they decide. It's games though, right? Five, yeah. So five he'll, miss, he'll miss at least five games. Um, and he could and the most he can miss is 11, right? When yeah. the when the deadline hits, right. but so that that is mostly my rationale is it just wouldn't make any sense in my mind for them to grant this hearing to then say no. Yeah, but it also is grant the hearing, hear from the kid, say sorry, we're still not not doing it. We gave you every chance, we've given you every opportunity. We still disagree, and we're going to go with this way. Callous. It is, but that the whole process has been callous. The whole process has been inconsistent from. Other guys to to Micah from all over the place. It's just been inconsistent and it's annoying. And I think that that is, as we've talked about throughout. I mean, it's the first two podcasts we talked about. It just that's the most annoying part of it all. If, if everyone was getting denied, we could all be upset at that. But at least we'd know that it was consistent. In this situation, it's not. It's mostly yes, annoying. But to me, the word is disappointing because eh. you don't that's, think it's the NCAA okay. is. Dis- I mean, that's that's the NCAA. But the, you well, know sure, I mean? but but that that doesn't mean that you should just kind of say that's the way things are. And I mean, but you're disappointed. I, I'm saying I'm disappointed in the inconsistency of it. Yeah, I'm I'm disappointed in that, and I'm I'm just I'm disappointed for the situation that they've put Micah Potter in. And I understand the letter, what the letter of the law is. He didn't actually which transfer, following. which they are following. until the second semester. And if it was the case that way for everyone, then it would be much more understandable. But the way Mike has handled it, the number of issues that he's had to deal with here now in the last several months of being denied and then potentially having another opportunity and being denied, and the what he has done during his time at Wisconsin. And again, if that's what if that's part of the deal that matters here is how you acclimate. He's got good grades, he's a great teammate, and he deserves the opportunity to be out there on the floor because you only get so many semesters to play. And they're taking a third one away from him. And that's how I view it. Yeah, the letter of the law is that this is only a second semester. But he left Ohio State's team a couple days before that season with the intent of going somewhere else. 
but he stayed there so he could maintain his grades and be in the best possible situation. And if you're the NCAA and, and that's you claim that student-athlete welfare matters, now's the time to at least have some type of mea culpa and say you get these extra five games. Next week, if we're talking and they have denied it, I'll be apoplectic. Uh, I can't wait to see that. All right, uh, time to get into uh, some of your Twitter questions. We will start with Bix. He asks, I know it's super early, but what seed do you see the Badgers getting if they make the NCAA tournament? Wow. They were a five seed last year. They were. And they finished fourth. They did. In the Big Ten. They also struggled down the stretch. Yes. I don't know that they're going to finish in the top four in the Big Ten this year. Big Ten, only three ranked teams right now. So maybe they're fourth? Well, according to the AP poll, I believe Michigan is ahead of them in terms of the of like the also receiving votes type of thing. Marquette's somehow ahead of them as well. I don't know if anybody watched the game on Sunday, apparently. I don't know how you could have I don't know how you could fill out your poll and not take that into account. Especially like Marquette wasn't ranked before that. You know what I mean? They hadn't done anything great. They beat Purdue, who's okay I think is gonna be okay, but they're not a like a top of the line team by any stretch. Like I don't they had to have submitted their ballots before watching those games yeah i just can't imagine why you would have marquette ahead of wisconsin after that 77 61 even if it was even it was at home wisconsin was is clearly a better team at this point agreed but this is almost an impossible question to answer right now just because wisconsin hasn't built a resume at all we 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 just don't know what's going to happen i think they'll be somewhere between a five and a seven but as long as you get in right I think they're an NCAA tournament team. If they play the way they did against Marquette, absolutely. Yeah, I think Joe Lenardi had him at least like his pre preseason one had him like one of the last teams in. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would that be like 11, 10, 11 seed? It would, but th- that's just nonsense. <laughs> the preseason NCAA tournament that features sixty eight teams is Co- like college basketball is, is just so much. There's so much more unknown in college basketball preseason than there is in any other sport, college wise. Like football, yeah, I mean. To an extent, but there's there's so much turnover every year, especially in college college basketball, that everything's different. Like you, could you name a single player on a lot of Big Ten teams at this point? Honestly, probably not. No, like and so everything changes. Teams are different. Teams are better. Teams are worse. Teams don't play as well together. It all changes. And so I think yeah, the preseason for the for college basketball is based totally on what you did last year and the talent that you have coming in, especially in college basketball more so than football because. True freshmen make impacts in football, right? We've seen it happen. But in college basketball, they are everything. And it, that certainly is the case for the top teams. Um, though, I guess it didn't help Kentucky against Evansville. But, hey, whatever. Uh, Chris B. asks, what does uh, Aline Ford need to do to dif- do differently to avoid getting in foul trouble? <laughs> um, that's a tough one. It is. I. He's, he's, he's over bat. I mean, look. He's being asked to guard guys that are much bigger than him for the most part. For yeah. the most part. Not all the time, but for the most part. He's having to deal with physical guys down low that are um, hard to stop. And he's not a an experienced post defender. I don't think that uh, you're, you're asking a lot of him right now to be playing in that five spot. I think that's, at some point, the next stage in his development. I mean, clearly what we've seen is his development offensively and his ability to attack inside and defensively that that's certainly an area because he's so valuable to this team he's not going to help them by being on the bench especially during this first semester when your your depth in the front court is hurting so i you know don't foul (laughs) what else can you say yeah i will say this i thought i saw a couple times where i'm as mad as i've ever seen greg guard on sunday 
He wasn't mad at the officials. He was mad at Nate. There was a time when uh, there was Nate was posting up and he got the hook, mm-hmm. and Greg slaps the floor as hard as I mean he 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 pulled a wojo there for a second, just slapped the floor, and he was could be yelling and I mean you could tell that he was yelling at Nate and he was not, he wasn't yelling at the ref he was yelling yelling at Nate because I'm sure that's probably something they talked about but it's those type of stupid fouls by Nate that impacts everybody else on the court without him on the court it forces them to to move things around but I will say this I do think the smaller lineups also present a huge issue for other teams don't you I mean wouldn't you agree having to play whether it's Tyler or Aline at the five on the other end yeah absolutely because you can spread everyone out and it is the true the idea of the swing where everybody can potentially post up and score inside and outside that's what you have this year that's what we knew they would be able to do this year when you don't have Ethan and Khalil on the floor the problem is it impacts you defensively if if your five man is you know 6869 forward here's the thing until they face a dominant big man it may not matter they haven't really they haven't really faced that i guess Marcus Kennedy was 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 good but he wasn't you know he's not as good as they're going to see this year but until they face a guy that's that's going to post them up on a regular basis and, and try and take advantage of them down low, maybe it won't maybe it won't kill them until Micah Potter gets back. Because I think Micah is a guy that can deal with guys down low. And, and look, Nate can too. He's he's not as probably as strong as he still needs to. I mean, he still needs to get stronger. There, he was moving. He was not moving. Theo John or or Murrow down low. Like he tried and just it wasn't working. So he he still needs to get stronger. But for right now, it's not hurting them. Uh, Chris also asks, uh, is this team's defensive intensity going to become the norm or the exception? Because they were as intense as I've seen them. That was all 40 minutes on Saturday, on Sunday. Yeah, they were obviously amped for that game. That was a big one to them, and they hadn't won in a couple of years. It's hard for me to say that defensive intensity would ever be the exception in a game at Wisconsin. I mean, I don't, you know, that they played at a very high level, but that's what you always have to hang your hat on if you're Wisconsin. You do, but you don't. And they did, they did that last week too. But that was as good of a defensive performance and effort combined yeah. as that we had seen in quite some time. And maybe, you know, maybe if some of those shots from Marcus Howard go down, we're, we're not talking about that, but it, they forced him into so many tough looks. They first found, forced most of those guys into so many tough looks that uh, we kind of talked about it last week. What, what are they a better offensive team or a defensive team this year? Uh, even with what they did on offense on Sunday, I still think right now they're a better defensive team. Yeah, I think that's fair because of the sample size that we've seen. How many halves have you seen where offensively it looked like this is the best Wisconsin can be? Right. It's been a handful of halves, whereas defensively I think they've probably been more successful there. And, I mean, yeah, the teams aren't teams are shooting 38.6% against them this year, and I think they've done a good job of getting in passing lanes and getting steals. You know, they had six steals against Marquette. They had a ton of steals last week, too. So I expect that to be something that continues. And, and not to say that the highlight of their season defensively came in November against Marquette. Things pick up after they take on Green Bay. They get uh, Richmond in the um, Legends Classic out in Brooklyn at, at the Barclays Center. And then they could get the winner of Auburn uh, or New Mexico. Although I, I guess they'll play one of the two, uh, whether it's in the championship match at the Constellation. And then they get the Big Ten ACC Challenge underway. They go to... NC State, and then they turn right around three days later and play uh, Indiana at home to open the Big Ten season, and then and then Rutgers. But this is going to be an interesting stretch. Like if they long term outlook hasn't changed just simply because of the Marquette game, but I think this next stretch could. I think this next stretch could prove whether that was who this team is. Do you think? I mean, because this is not going to be an easy stretch. I don't. There's no powerhouse teams in that you know in that stretch right now. There's no ranked teams in that stretch, but. 
There's some good teams. Yeah, and, and what you do in the early season matters because last year they were hot early. And that, you know, when the NCAA tournament committee is looking in March about where they see teams or whether a team gets in, what you did in these games is a big deal. And that's why a couple of years ago they, they shot themselves in the foot very early. And obviously that season unraveled because of injuries and, and a lot of other reasons. But if you win a lot of those games early, that can change your outlook down the road. So this is a, a vital stretch, no question about it. You'd be kicking themselves for that St. Mary's game. Just, we'll I mean, see. I mean, it would have helped, no doubt about Saint, it. And they'd be nationally ranked. Obviously, St. Mary's lost as well to a, an underwhelming team the following week. That didn't help either. But uh, yeah, if, if they be if they're four and zero at this point, top twenty, they're in the top twenty five for sure, hundred percent. And and St. Mary's was twentieth in the country, I think, at the time of that game. Right. So yeah, one one half or one play can make a big difference in the perception of how this team is viewed. But they've got an opportunity to write their own story, especially in the next few weeks against some better competition. Yeah. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks, Zach. You've been listening to The Swing here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.